And uh, man, what a, what a fascinating and uh, extraordinary time in day and age in which we live. It just is, right? Um, as Matt sort of alluded to, there's a lot of darkness in the world, um, and we are faced with all sorts of uh, challenges and issues. And um, as Christ followers, we are not, you know, we're not immune from this. It, it impacts us in very significant ways as well. And so uh, because we live in such extraordinary times and because you and I are not um, immune to being impacted by what goes on in our culture and in our world, um, Pastor Jeff and I uh, decided this week, we're like, you know, how do we speak into this reality? How do we, you know, how do we kind of, how do we deliver messages that will be meaningful and relevant for our people that will also be edifying, that will be biblical, that will be gospel-centered, all of those things, in order to encourage our people. And um, so we, we're not going to shy away from uh, some of the, the challenges that we see in our culture today. Uh, and again, Charlottesville is on people's minds. Um, you can, but you can also go beyond Charlottesville uh, to other parts of the world. Spain was impacted significantly uh, this week, obviously. I mean, you've, you've all seen that. Uh, not to mention Sierra Leone uh, and all the natural disasters that are happening there. Um, and I think early this morning we even heard about something happening in Finland. And as Matt alluded to, there's something right here in our own backyard in Kissimmee. So, Clearly, darkness not only exists in our world, but it is actually on the advance, if you will. The darkness does not rest because our enemy, the devil, the Bible says that he goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So it is real. Um, that is, this is the reality. This is the world in which we live. But this morning... As we gather, as we are the church, during the week we are scattered, we are the church, scattered. But on Saturday mornings, um, at 8.45 and at 10 and at 11.15 or 11.20, we are the church gathered. And let me just be very, very, very clear with all of us. When you walk through the doors, no, I take that back. When you drive on the parking lot in your car, and you claim the name of Jesus Christ, you and your political viewpoints and ideologies immediately become subordinate to the call of the gospel in Jesus Christ. All right? Let's just make that really clear right now. So it's all right if you're, a, if you're an RNC member, Republican National Committee, or you're a DNC member. We got them all right here. Or if you're independent, libertarian, or whatever you claim to be. But at the end of the day, you are a Christ follower first and foremost. And you belong to the kingdom of God first and foremost. And the agenda of God, not the agenda of your political party, is what supersedes everything in your life. And that's just the start. <laughs> Right? And so I just want us to understand very clearly, and that same applies to myself and the same applies to Pastor Jeff. But as God's people gathered, you and I are called to something different and something more. And we're going we're gonna to be challenged with that a little bit today. So let's, uh, let's dive in. 
Look at uh, Ephesians. We're going to go to Ephesians to begin with. Ephesians, <clears throat> and we're going to look at chapter uh, 5, verse 1, and then we'll look at verses 8 through 9. So think about this. Uh, the, the mantra that you and I live by, Jesus called them the two great commands. They asked Jesus, you know, what, what commands should we follow? What are the, what are the great commandments? How do, you, how do you talk about them? What do you say about them? And Jesus bo- basically boiled them down to two. And this is the Christian call. This is our mantra. This is how we live. This is the mindset with which we approach the world and, and life. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That the, he summed it all up. His followers, the people listening to him, all the Jewish people understood this notion of laws. They had plenty of laws in Jesus' day. But Jesus said, let me just summarize everything for you. Let me make it plain and simple very straightforward. Love your God. He created you. You are his. He loves you. Love him with everything that you have. Orientate your whole life around him. But then don't forget the horizontal relationship with other people, with your neighbor. That's pretty awesome. In fact, why don't we do something right now? Well, you should turn to your neighbor right now in the pew and say, I love you. (laughs) Aw. <laughs> Was that a little awkward? Was that slightly? That's we, thank you. I don't have a neighbor. Where's my neighbor? But the truth of the matter is what Jesus says is that especially for the people of God, we should be marked by love. As, comfort, as uncomfortable as it is for us to express it and even say it, we should be marked by love. Okay, but the Bible takes it even a step further. But let me get through Ephesians uh, chapter 5, verse 1, verses eight through, and then verses 8 through 9. Because the Bible takes it a step further. See if you hear it here. Uh, 5.1, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Verses 8 and 9. I'm going to skip down to verses 8 and 9 now. For once you were full of darkness, the same darkness that has invaded the world today, you were full of it back when. But now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. So Jesus not only says, God not only says to us that we are Um, that we are to love our neighbor, but we are to love one another because you and I are part of the same family. (laughs) We belong to the same family. We we share, we we don't have the same blood, you know, bloodlines in the earthly sense, but we share the benefits. We are the beneficiaries of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So we do share a common bloodline. And Jesus says, the Bible says, remember that you are family. There's another passage, the first passage I ever committed to memory once when I became a Christian. That's over in 1 John chapter 3. Behold what manner of love that the Father has lavished upon you, that you should be called the sons and the daughters of God. We're family. If you come under the name of Jesus, if you've received him as Lord and Savior, 
And whether you're an Adventist or a Baptist or whatever you might claim to be, because you and I know Jesus as Lord and Savior, we are family. So I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, hey, family. (laughs) And then don't forget I love you. Hey, family, I love you. (laughs) That's who we are. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. The darkness and the enemy of God's family is constantly at work to undermine and to rip apart families. That's just truth. That's just the reality of it all. In fact, if you look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 12, it says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Two things I want you to keep in mind. Number one, don't forget who you are. Don't forget who you are. You are a child of God. You were created in the image and likeness of God. And when you came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, you became a part of a family, the family that God loves and claims you as his, and claims as his children. You became a part of, that's your identity. That's who you are and that's where you come from. That gives you your identity. Don't forget who you are. You are first and foremost a child of God, right? That's who you are, man. And then secondly, don't forget this. Don't forget this, that you and I are caught up in an incredible battle, a war, if you will. And as I mentioned before, there is, a, there is one who attempts to undermine our family. He attempts to destroy our family. He loves to see family members leave the family. He loves to see family members get upset and angry and distraught with the family. He loves to see all of that. He loves to see chaos and fighting and division in the family. He loves all of that. But if indeed family members remember who they are and what matters most, He has no power. Here's the nature of the battle. Sometimes I think we we forget about, maybe we can look at it in this way. It's, It's an air war and a ground war. Sometimes we get focused too much on the ground war. That's kind of the the war that we see, the battle between different groups of people and even family members. And sometimes there becomes divisions and people sit on this side or that side and people forget about the fact that we're all together in one family. And there becomes divisions and strife and hatred and all sorts of things happen. But there's the air war. And the air war is the most important battle. As Ephesians mentioned, that our fight is not against flesh and blood, that's the ground war, but it is in fact in the heavenly realms. All of this is a spiritual reality, it's a spiritual conflict. It it's takes place in the unseen. And so, so therefore, it demands something of you and me. It demands not only that we live in the reality in which we live, but it demands that you and I become far more spiritual than we ever thought we would have to be. Don't get me wrong. I love religious people. That's wonderful. And religion is part of our spirituality. But if you think If you think that merely having your name on the church record, understanding how the books of Daniel and Revelation 
uh, play into end time events. If your eschatology is down and you're a vegetarian or a vegan, if you think that is what it means to get through this battle or to be spiritual, to be spiritual, that isn't all of it. There's far more. There's a deeply intense and personal relationship with Jesus Christ that not only allows us to live as good religious folks, but as deeply spiritually transformed people of God. And I, I tend to think that a lot of us can go so far with God, but perhaps we don't go as far as we need to go. Because once you, once you go, once there is a deeply mature and spiritual reality in your life, you begin to love people like you never could before, right? So crazy things like what Jesus said in the Gospels, love your enemies, Love the people that you don't like. Love the people even in your own family that look different from you. Love the people who, who get on your, ner- your nerves. Love the people who are, who are all of those things that you just aren't. The op- you're the opposite of. Love those people. You do not do that. You do not do that just naturally. It takes a supernatural reality that must take place in the hearts and the minds of everyone. It just does. It's a deeply spiritual reality. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Listen to this. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Paul, constantly throughout Paul's writings, he makes this distinction between the the flesh and the spirit. That's where I want you to hear this. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, listen to these words, listen to this string of words, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. Have we seen a little bit of that lately? Have we seen a little bit of that? Selfish ambition, dissensions and factions. Oh, and he's talking to the church people. He's talking to the church people. Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. If we remain in the flesh, if we operate in the flesh, if we do not have a spiritual transformation, the Bible says that we will not inherit the kingdom of God. So something profound must take place in the heart and soul of every believer. And here's the good news. Here's the good thing. The gospel, the gospel not only is something that will change your life, it transforms who you are. The gospel is not just something that we hear and we make these nice modifications to our life. We become nice, good, polite, courteous people, at least when people are watching. But we actually become these spiritually transformed people who supernaturally begin to do life in such a way that I cannot hate my brother, that I cannot get caught up in strife and hatred. 
that I cannot even allow my personal biases that I grew up with because of where I grew up and the background that I came through and all of those things that, that, that play into who I am and wh- what I've become in, in this life. I do not allow that to overtake the reality of the fact that I'm a supernaturally being, I'm being supernaturally transformed from the inside out by this God who I've given my life to. I just do not let that happen. And the minute that I do begin to see myself struggle in this way, my personal biases, my prejudices, and we all have them, the minute I see that begin to happen, I repent. And I begin to seek to go a different way. I begin to do something quite different. That is the reality of someone who is living a life that is being transformed by the gospel. Hate is the very antithesis of the gospel, by the way. Keep that in mind. Hate is the very antithesis of the gospel. And and we just read about hate and hatred. Those who hate and those who are fleshly will not inherit the kingdom of God. But hate is the, the antithesis of the gospel. If you look at the word hate, it occurs in Scripture. Both the Hebrew and the Greek word for hate essentially convey the same message. Rejection. Um, to get as far away from as, possi- as, as far as possible, as, to get as far away from. To turn away from. Um, it comes with the notion of of um, to be utterly detestable, all right? And so in some ways, the Bible presents us with, with a, a good version of hatred. We should hate sin. We should turn away from it. We should try as far as possible to get, a, to get away from it. Uh, the Bible says that, that God hates divorce, this idea of hatred. But it never teaches us, it never teaches us to hate our brother or our sister. It never talks about how we should reject them outright. It certainly never talks about how we should reject them because of who they are, where they came from, or what they look like. It just isn't there. In fact, the gospel always says what? You're welcome here. You can come here. In fact, you can can be close to us. You can be part of our family. We invite you. You can be a part of us. The gospel is always invitational. It never rejects. Hate always rejects and tries to push uh, that which is hated as far away as possible. It becomes detestable. I want to move away from it. But, but love, the gospel, always invites. Always says, I want to be close to you. You are welcome here. Jesus reaffirmed this very same notion. He says this, all that the Father gives to me shall come to me, and he who comes to me or she who comes to me, I shall in no wise cast out. Jesus says, come. Love says, come. The gospel says, come. So we as a family, we welcome all. Black, white, Orange, brown, green, yellow, Hispanic, Asian, 
South Pacific Island, I don't even know them all, the nations. And dare I say it, gay, straight. You are welcome here. You can come to this church because love says, come on in. Welcome. Come. Hear about the love of Jesus. Atheist, agnostic, come. Whoever you are, you can come here and you can hear about Jesus. You can hear about this love, and I pray that God, I pray that God would use, use us to be a testimony to the love that he talks about in his word, so that when people do come here, there's no confusion at all, right? People see that these people, oh, yeah, that Bible, that Jesus, yeah, it, it works, it adds up. They love. They love. So we never turn anyone away. You are welcome here. Come and understand the gospel. Now, should you choose not to be, should you choose to not be a part of the family and choose to adopt the same ideals in terms of love and acceptance and invitation, then there's a good chance you won't like it here. And you will leave. We won't have to ask you. There will be no drama. Because you just won't like it. There's a good re- there will be no skinheads, there will be, be none of these groups, none of, the, be no, none of those people will be in heaven because they wouldn't like it. They wouldn't want to be there. They wouldn't want to be there. And I can safely say that because if in fact a skinhead or a, a group of any sort of group or KKK or you, you name it, right, any of them, whatever group, If they come to faith in Jesus, they have a new life. They're no longer what they used to be. So I'm I'm very accurate in saying that there will be none of the hate groups, if you will, none of the fringe groups, none of the terrorist groups, none of those people will be in heaven because if they are in heaven, they are no longer what they used to be. Same goes for you. See, I don't think we have any of those people in our church. But what we do have is a bunch of people who the Bible says are sinners. So you sin in some kind of way. (laughs) And you have sinned in some kind of way. And it very well may be that you have your your biases and you you even have your prejudices. You, You very well may struggle with that may be a reality for you. But at the end of the day, the God of the universe, the God of the Bible, is supernaturally transforming you to be someone altogether different. To be someone altogether different. I got to read a couple more passages, and then I'm going to share with you a story, and I'm, I'm going to let you um, let you go. But I want you to listen to this, 1 John chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. 1 John chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and, anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. 
They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Wow. Colossians 1, verses 19 through 20. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The other thing that we understand about Christ's followers is that we love and we love peace. We love peace. It doesn't mean that there aren't times in which strife arises, but at the end of the day, you and I are about peace. One last passage from James and then a story, and I'll let you go. James chapter 1, verse 27, talking about religion. He says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to, this last line is critical, listen to this, keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I am probably, I, I don't want us to become like people who aren't in our family. You understand that? And there, you, people have a hard time with this reality, but the truth of the matter is, uh, God's family is different from the culture and the world. Christ's followers should be unique in the way that they love and the way that they treat one another. The challenge is you and I have to go out there and we have to be amongst people who don't share the same, the same understanding and don't follow the same agenda that you and I do, and that is to love. And so it's possible that in our interaction with the culture and the world, we begin to act like the culture and the world when it comes to relating to our brothers and sisters once we get home. So you and I, I, I love what, what James says here. He says, make sure we're taking care of the widows and the orphans and be mindful to make sure that you're not becoming polluted by the world. And that's not all the drinking and carousing and all that. Yeah, that's part of it too. But it may be something far more sinister, something that attaches to our soul, the hate the prejudice. It could be nurtured in some other environment, so you have to watch yourself, Christ follower. We all got to watch ourselves. If you watch too much TV, you can get caught up in it. So let's, let's turn away, let's turn the TV off, get off the internet, don't spit, and pick up this, and read about Jesus and his love. Interact with this, get lost in this, surf this. And see how God transforms and continues to transform us all into these people who can radically love one another. Not because, not because we're just good old religious folks who hunker down and white knuckle it, baby. God told me to love you, I'm going to love you. <laughs> but because supernaturally by the spirit of almighty God, because he always gets the credit, God is doing something in you that you couldn't possibly do yourself. Finally, there's this. I, in the midst of all this this week, as I'm praying and thinking about what I would say today, I came across a story. Um, it was called The, uh, the White Flight of, uh, of a Young Man Named Derek Black, I believe his name was. The White Flight of Derek Black. That's his name. 
And basically the story, I'm going to summarize as quickly as I can. Derek Black is a young man who grew up here in Florida. He was raised in a home that taught him to hate, taught him to be a white nationalist, taught him to be a white supremacist. And so that's the way he was raised. Eventually, he was sort of ordained as the up-and-coming superstar of the movement. And then he went off to college. And he began to walk around this campus. He began to engage with other students. And lo and behold, he began to actually engage with people who were brown, a little bit different skin tone. And he wasn't turned off by them. In fact, he sort of liked them. But he still maintained his ideologies because that stuff, that hate is taught and it seeps in very deep to the bones. It's hard to shape. So he would actually, he had his own uh, radio program. He did all these kinds of things with his father. His parents were hot, big into it. Eventually, though, uh, a young man who had, he had become acquainted with, a Jewish kid at the school, started inviting him. And here's a, here's a practical lesson for us as Adventists. Started inviting him, a Jewish kid, Orthodox Jewish kid, started inviting him to Friday night dinners, Shabbat dinners at his house, at his little apartment. And at first, because there were people from all different races and backgrounds and so forth that were come, all the people who were of, of different races and so forth wouldn't really come because they knew about this kid. His story had come out, and they knew what he was and what he believed. And so Matthew thinking, hey, I'd rather not turn away from this guy who I have clear differences with. I'd, I'd rather bring him up close and try to get to know him, and perhaps I can persuade him differently through love and through food. And sure enough, over the course of time, Derek Black became a young man who saw that there was really no difference between black, white, red, green, whatever, but that we were all the same. He began to, he began to see that the notion that there is one race far superior uh, than another and that, uh, that people are, other people are less valuable than others was just foolish nonsense. And he publicly declared this. He, he actually, he had been so prominent in the media that he, he shared this uh, with the media and the stuff story went public. His family disowned him and, and so forth. And so today, he's a different person. He's a different man altogether. And all I would say about that is, is that we may, not, we may not be able to transform the world by ignoring the world. We may, we may not be able to see people come to a different understanding of love and acceptance and all those sorts of things until we get up close and personal, until we take a chance and believe that there's, some, there's another power at work in this world, a supernatural power that can actually transform and change people's lives. And there are lots of stories like that. So it may mean that you and I as the people of God get up close and personal even to the ugliness that the world presents us with. It may mean that we don't shy away from and go and hide in our nice little comfortable corners and, and so forth, but it may mean that we invite someone to come and sit down at our table in our house. Whoa. Someone who we wouldn't naturally or normally invite. Someone who we may not even particularly be terribly excited about. Invite them to sit down. Seek understanding. Get to know them. And here's the final charge from Scripture. It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 14. Chapter 16 and verse 14, verse, 1 Corinthians. Let love prevail in your life, words and actions. 
I'm going to say it again. This is your charge as you leave this morning. Let love prevail in your life, words, and actions. Pray with me. Father God, I am grateful for this family. I'm grateful that you've called us to be a part of this family. It is not by accident, it's by divine invitation. And those of us, Father, who have come to know you and have expressed faith in you, I pray, God, that you would inspire us by your spirit to love in incomprehensible, strange ways. I pray that you would challenge our souls and convict us, God, about how we can, in fact, um, love those around us, even perhaps though we may not want to or like to. Father, may we, may we take your words to heart to love one another and to do so at a very deep level. And may we push back the powers of darkness with the light of your love in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Mm-hmm.